reading, <clears throat> excuse me, be reading from Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37. Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but that they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of all things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas, by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, good morning. It is good to see each of you. Glad that you're able to be here with us, and especially if you're visiting. We are honored and pleased that you're here, and we would certainly invite you to come back at any opportunity that you had. This morning's sermon, I've put the title of it as The Great Encourager. Of course, reading about Barnabas, that tends to make us think about encouragement. Now, the name Barnabas appears 28 times in the New Testament, and 23 times in the book of Acts alone. And there are only about three other names that appear that much or more than Barnabas. We have Paul, of course. He is, his name is mentioned 129 times. Peter is mentioned 59 times. And John is mentioned 24 times in the book of Acts. David Roper, he made the statement of Barnabas. He described him as a major minor character. And I guess that could be a fair uh, illustration of who Barnabas was as we read about him. And as we look at Barnabas, it doesn't seem that he necessarily possessed the greatness of Peter or the genius of Paul, but he impacted life after life after life, and he played a major role in the history of the early church. When we look at the book of Acts, we can discern fairly quickly that the first 12 chapters or so talks primarily about the works of Peter and a few of the other apostles. And then we read the balance of the history of the, the, the church, the Acts of the Apostles, and what we're reading about or who we're reading about then is more of Paul. We read about Paul and his works as he traveled on his missionary journeys and established congregations. But the life and the works of both Peter and Paul were influenced heavily by Barnabas. Now the name Barnabas means the son of encouragement. Have you ever noticed that some people come and when they come they bring with them trouble and strife? Not Barnabas. Barnabas, when he came, he brought encouragement and peace. He was an early comforter of 
Paul, wasn't he? He was an early comforter of the church. He served as an advocate for Paul and both for John Mark. He advocated for both of them. He encouraged both of those men and I'm sure consoled them in their time of console. Clovis Chapel contrasted James and John with Barnabas saying this. He said, James and John were called the sons of thunder. He said, that speaks of power, of might, the lightnings flash and the thunders crash and there is storm in their personalities. Oh, but Barnabas. Barnabas is the peaceful sunset after the storm. He is the light at the eventide. He is the son of consolation. Have you ever considered this, that Barnabas was such an encourager to other people that his designation replaced his own name? No longer would he be called Joseph, but he would be called Barnabas. Now by his spirit, Barnabas showed himself to be a son of God, didn't he? After all, God is the God of patience and Consolation, Paul said, Romans 15, 5. So Barnabas, certainly a son of God. He practiced comforting others with that same comfort that he received, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. And there's no doubt in our minds that Barnabas was a faithful Christian, a faithful follower of our Lord. And he is an example that we can use in our own lives today. Do you remember what Paul said? Paul said, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And I believe that Barnabas is just such an example that we can follow. So using Barnabas as our example this morning, I want to talk a little bit about encouragement. Encouraging each other in our daily lives to help us get through this thing we know as life as we endeavor to be faithful to God. But I want us to recognize first that if we're going to be able to encourage anyone, we have to first have a good prayer life. We have to have a good prayer life. And now there are some core principles when it comes to having a good prayer life. I think that may be one of the reasons that so many people neglect prayer. I don't know that they fully understand prayer and the role it ought to play in every Christian's life. Now it seems like an easy subject at the outset, doesn't it? But there's a little more to it. And as we get into it, the student will see the depth of prayer, and the importance of prayer, and exactly what it does for our lives. And we'll understand also that sometimes our knowledge of prayer may be a little lacking. We may need to... Tune up a little bit. Prayer has to include several things. If you've noticed, and I know you have, prayer, for the most part, is a personal action, isn't it? Now, we'll pray publicly. When we come together for worship, like Brother Jeff just did for us, he led our minds in prayer as we concentrated on the things that he said. And we have to do that, don't we? Because you can teach error in a prayer just the same as you can teach it from the pulpit or in a class. So we concentrate on the brother who's leading us in prayer. We're, we're listening to that, and that's why the amen comes in at the end, right? I, I agree with that. 
I agree with that. But prayer, for the most part, is a personal experience. When we look at the percentages of prayer times in our lives, the personal aspect of prayer far outnumbers the public prayers in which we engage. Did you notice Matthew 6, 5 through 7? That Jesus used the terms, you and yours, 11 times as He was giving this demonstration and instructing the disciples how to pray. Very personal to us. A person's prayer life has to be, for the most part, an individual action. We cannot receive the blessings of prayer by proxy for the most part. Oh, we can pray for one another. We can go to God on our, on, on our brother or our sister's behalf. We can intercess for each other, pray for someone's health. But for us to truly gain the blessings of prayer, it has to be a personal action. But it also has to be a perpetual thing, right? We have to be a praying individual or individuals Constantly. Jesus said this, 1 Thessalonians, or uh, Paul said this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, to pray without ceasing. Now obviously, Paul intended something there. We cannot pray 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But it has to be such a part of our lives that we are constantly thinking about our prayer lives. Things happening, whether it's something good or whether it's something bad, we see the need to either thank God for it or to ask His help in it. Jesus told us that when you pray, not if you pray, right? When you pray, that tells us that prayer must be a regular practice. And also, we need to learn to pray when it's difficult to pray. Have you ever had something happened in your life where you were a little upset and you didn't really know who to be upset with? Might be just a little upset with God. Though God is never the source of our problems, but when we find ourselves in situations we may not be as reasonable as we'd like to be, and we might even be just a little upset with God, we find that difficult to pray at those times, don't we? We need to pray even when it's difficult. Practice in a lot of ways, does make perfect, doesn't it? It gets us in the habit of doing something. We need to go to God in prayer when we don't even know what to say because He definitely understood, understands. Prayer should be observed at different times, under different circumstances, during different emotions, during different trials or blessings and experiences. And sometimes we may even have to pray for the same thing over and over and over again, right? That may be what it is. We may have to pray for something for a very long time, and I don't know, maybe God wants us to demonstrate to Him that we truly need and want the petition of which we are offering to Him. God doesn't always answer every single prayer right now, does He? Sometimes He he denies the prayer. It says no to it. And sometimes it may take a little while. Prayer must also be proactive. How are people usually in this world? We're reactive, aren't we? A lot of the time, we're reactive. Something happens and we react to it. 
Something bad happens, we react to it. Something good happens out of the, out of the blue, we react to it, and that's okay. But maybe if we're proactive, good things will happen more regularly. If we're proactive, maybe we can keep bad things from happening. But prayer has to be proactive. We need to pray about things that we are concerned with and that we want to either happen or not happen. Right? We need to be proactive. Prayer is a time when the Christian seeks after God and and bears and, and presents his very soul to Him. Let us seek Him out in order to prevent things in our lives that we don't want to happen. Let's seek Him out when we want something and need something so badly for ourselves or for someone else. You know, when the Israelites returned from captivity, Jeremiah prophesied something. Notice Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13. He said, Then you will call upon me, speaking for God, and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Have you ever heard someone ask the question, well, where was God when this happened to me? You know, I don't know of anyone probably that has any age on them at all that hasn't been in a situation where they wondered, and maybe even out loud, God, where were you when this happened to me? When I lost someone or lost something, when some catastrophe happened in my life and and you feel like you've been faithful all this time and then you say, well, God, where were you? He's in the same place he's always been. But where was I? Was I searching after God? Because he said, if I search after him with all my heart, I will find him. Now, we may need to search after God to, to understand what we need to do to be faithful to Him. How do I become a Christian, a New Testament Christian? Well, I need to search after God and determine those things with all my heart. I may even have to be willing to to disagree with a family member, right? I may have to disagree with my wife or my husband or, or whatever the case may be, but if I search diligently with all of my heart, And I'm searching the Scriptures, and we talked this morning in Bible class about the Bereans. If I search the Scriptures, I can find God. Now, there are core principles that lend themselves to creating a good prayer life. But there are also some things that will constrict one's prayer life. I want us to notice them. First of all, what about preoccupation? Well, preoccupation constricts constrict our prayer lives? Well, we live in a very fast-paced society, don't we? It seems as if, especially if we, we're, we're in that time of our lives when we have children and we're running them around or we're having to help someone and there are a lot of people out that are in the world that are caregivers for other people and they have to do a whole lot and they're here and they're there and they're on a time schedule and all of those things and we become a little preoccupied And that might interfere with my prayer life if I allow it. I might be so consumed with the things happening in this world that all of a sudden, not because I want to do it, but I simply, God leaves my mind. And I've not been seeking after Him in prayer. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 6. He said, 
Go into your room, and when you've shut the door, pray to God. You know, sometimes we just need to stop for a moment and pray. Most prayers don't last 30 minutes, do they? Now, we may have extended prayers on our own. Have you ever laid down in bed at night and it seems more and more that I do a whole lot of my praying while I'm laying in the bed in the morning and at night? Now, you might fall asleep saying a prayer. I've thought about that a lot. I know one lady that that we know and love from Memphis, she said that she began all of her prayers when she uh, began to pray at night in bed with, in Christ's name I pray, in case she fell asleep. She felt like she needed to add that in, for sure. So she started off with that. And so we might have an extended prayer, but you know, we can pray. A prayer may last a few seconds. It may last less than a minute. But we need to take time to pray. Let's not be preoccupied. Transgression will restrict our prayer lives, won't it? People who are living in sin have a difficult time having a good prayer life. People who have a good prayer life are not going to be living in sin, are they? When we live in such a way that God will not recognize our prayers, John 9, 31, we're doing something wrong. We've fallen out of fellowship with God, and we don't want that. We don't want to fall out of fellowship with God when we look in Acts chapter 8 verse 22 and we read about a man named Simon the sorcerer he obeyed the gospel he became a New Testament Christian and he fell out of fellowship with God you recall what happened when the apostles came down after Philip had been down preaching and a lot of people obeyed the gospel and Peter and John came down to offer or to uh, give the gifts because only the gift could be given by an apostle apostle could give you a gift but you couldn't transfer that gift to anyone And so when Simon the sorcerer saw that Peter and John were able to impart gifts and understanding his background, he was Simon the sorcerer, he was a magician, he made his living off of fooling people, he wanted that power. He began to think about all the money he could make, I'm sure, and so he offered to buy that gift from Peter. Peter said, you better repent of that. You've fallen out of fellowship with God. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. And he asked Peter to pray for him that those things that he talked about wouldn't come upon him. And so transgression will affect our prayer lives. What about frustration? Will frustration affect us in our prayer lives? Tell me what's worse than frustration in this world when you you know something needs to happen and you just can't make it happen. That's frustrating, isn't it? Sometimes we don't even know how to pray. We don't know what to ask for and we wouldn't even know where to begin. Have you ever prayed to God and just say, please help me, I don't even know where to start? I have. When we consider Jesus in His model prayer, He said, in this manner therefore pray. In this manner pray. When we consider the different aspects of the model prayer, it's an example. It's not an exhaustive uh, illustration of how we are to pray. But when we look at those different aspects and we see that we pray for some physical things, we can pray for some spiritual things, we pray for other people, we pray for this and for that, we can now kind of help our prayers come together a little bit. 
And we may not still know specifically what to pray for in times of distress, but we know we can pray and that God will understand. Remember Peter said, 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And that even means when we're frustrated. May we encourage each other to have a good prayer life. You know, it only takes a casual glance at the world around us to understand something is missing. Something is wrong. We live in a troubled and an uncertain time, don't we? I appreciate Jeff's prayer about the upcoming Supreme Court nomination. I pray that we can have someone nominated to the Supreme Court that might help us in stopping the murdering of millions of unborn children. I pray that we can have someone on our Supreme Court that can honor marriage between a man and a woman the way God does. Rather, we need to pray for people who are making the rules and the laws and interpreting those rules and laws. Paul said, pray for those in in positions of power. Pray for the kings. Let's pray for our president and our congress that maybe they will live in such a way to bring honor and glory to God instead of shame. You know, we struggle in this world and we face a never-ending display of sin all around us. We better be praying to God that we are strong enough to make it through that. That's why we need to encourage each other to have strong prayer lives. It begins with prayer. If we want to be a Barnabas, let's have a good prayer life. And let's encourage our brethren to have good prayer lives. I pray that we can be bold enough to stand and defend the Word of God and be bold enough to go to the very throne of God. If we're going to be successful in encouraging each other, we have to have a good prayer life. But there's something else we also must have, and this is my second point. We must have a life of purpose. We can't just be blowing here and there through the wind, tossed to and fro like James said. You know, there are consequences when we do not have purpose in life. Have you ever seen someone that you could watch how they lived in this life and you just saw they had no purpose. They were almost like a ball lost in tall weeds. They didn't know where they were and they didn't know how to get out of it or where to go. Now we may not feel indifferent on the inside, but it certainly appears that we're indifferent if we do not have a purpose. When we don't have a purpose in life, silence will often be a result. Now what do we mean about that? Well, we won't have the bold spirit Barnabas had. We become indifferent, right? In Antioch, Paul and Barnabas ran into just a little bit of trouble. There were some Jews that were jealous and they were causing problems. And they began to contradict and to blaspheme the things that Paul and Barnabas had been teaching. But it was at that point that both Paul and Barnabas, Acts 13, 46, stood and waxed bold. They stood against the wiles of the devil because they had a purpose in life. And I guarantee you they prayed about it before it ever even happened. If we don't have a purpose in life, really what that may lead us to be is to be a coward in this life. 
Often someone may remain silent because of fear of maybe hurting someone's feelings or of getting our feelings hurt. And we never, a Christian will never intentionally hurt someone's feelings. We might say the correct thing and say it in the incorrect way and that makes it wrong, right? doesn't make the material wrong, doesn't necessarily make the statement wrong, but the way in which I present it can be absolutely offensive. And that's not what God wants. Jesus never did that. Even when He stood up and called the Pharisees and scribes liars and hypocrites and snakes, He wasn't unnecessarily offensive, was He? The gospel is offensive. Nothing we can do about that. The gospel offends the world. The gospel offends those who live in sin. The gospel offends people who do not live by the gospel. But if we have a spirit of purpose, we'll be able to help lead someone to Christ and do it in a way that is loving. Paul said this, Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. We have to be bold. We have to be bold. But we have to speak the truth in love. And that's what Paul told those in Ephesus. We have to be willing to be hated for the sake of God, right? Who wants to be hated in this world? Anyone with, with the right mind wants to be loved in this world, don't they? Anyone. If someone doesn't care one way or the other, if a person loves them or not, if anyone loves them, anyone has any regard for them or not, something's wrong with that individual. Something is wrong. They, first of all, they don't have natural affection, right? Because if you don't care if anyone loves you in this world, that would include our families. And that's a lack of natural affection. But we must be willing to endure for Christ's sake, right? Notice what Peter said, 1 Peter 4, beginning with 15. <clears throat> but let not, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So if we're a murderer, or a thief, or a gossiper, there's no glory in that. No glory in suffering for that. But if we suffer because we're faithful to God, and we're faithful to Christ and His gospel, there's a lot of glory in that. There's a lot of glory in that. If we're going to avoid the consequences of not having purpose in our lives, we have to be courageous. We have to be courageous. And that's very difficult at times. But let us never mistake meekness for weakness, right? Meekness is strength under control. It's not just being silent. But it's standing up and being firm at the right time in the right place, in the right way. And that's what God expects. God will strengthen us as we continue to carry out His will. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9, the writer says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. God never wavers. He never tires. He's always going to be there offering strength. All we have to do is seek it out and search Him out with all our heart and it will be there. He never becomes discouraged and He is always the source of courage. And if we do those things, if we have a purpose in our lives, 
If we avoid the consequences because of our great courage, we will also be encouragers and will be able to be encouraged. God proclaimed this, Isaiah 41 verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Do you recall the song we sing from time to time, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus? Let me give you a little background to that song. It was written in 1858. The reason it was written, the evangelist and abolitionist by the name Dudley Atkins Ting, I believe, He went to a barn on his farm after a successful meeting in Philadelphia. He reached out to pet a mule that he had there that was working a machine that was shelling corn. Well, when he reached out to pet that mule, his sleeve got stuck in the cogs of that and it tore his arm off. No one knew about him. So hours later, one of his assistants found him and went to him as he was bleeding to death. And his final words were, in a whispered tone, he told George Duffield, the writer of the song, tell them to stand up for Jesus. Now Mr. Duffield went home and penned that song. We sing it today. So let's encourage each other to show our purpose in life. Let's stand up for Jesus. But we also need to encourage each other. We have to have a good prayer life. We have to have a purpose, but we still need to encourage each other even when we act like people. And that can be a problem sometimes, can't it? When we act like people. We all suffer from what is known as the human condition. I've heard that term my whole life. I think I have in a a sense, I understood what it meant, but I wasn't really completely sure what it entailed. And so I did a little research. The human condition refers to all situations that people commonly relate to and which are important to them. All situations. So it means we are human and subject to the frailties of human nature. Now that was certainly true for Barnabas, wasn't it? Not that we're born sinful. We're not born sinful. There are no babies that are born sinful. We have to become like little children in order to be allowed into the kingdom of God. But we have a tendency to enjoy sin. We have a tendency not to control ourselves. You know, Barnabas was one of the best in the early church. But he was not perfect by any means or any stretch of the imagination because he was simply a person. Now, John Steinbeck once noted, and I think this is absolutely point on, he said, man is the only kind of varmint that sets his own trap, baits it, and then steps in it. That's the truth, isn't it? That's the truth. And nobody knew that better than Barnabas. When those in Lystra tried to worship Paul and Barnabas, do you remember what they said? They said, don't do that. Because we're men of like passions. We're also people. Don't worship us. You only worship God, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. They were also like Peter who sometimes did things that were wrong, Mark 8, verse 33, when 
Jesus had to tell him, Get thee behind me, Satan. As Peter said, I'm not going to allow you to go to the cross. See, Peter was a person. But there are two cases recorded for us that give us a little insight into the human, into the person, Barnabas. So when we consider the human condition, let's notice these first these two cases. The first occasion involved Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. And do you recall when, when Peter, and it's recorded for us in, in uh, Paul's Galatian letter, Paul wrote this talking about Peter and his rejection of the Gentiles when the Jews came around. Galatians 2, beginning verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. If a great man like Barnabas can be carried away with hypocrisy, get caught up in being a person and not controlling himself and giving in to whatever the situation caused him to make the wrong choice, that can happen to anybody, can't it? certainly happened to me. Peter's involvement shows the same thing. They endure the same temptations that we endure today. So that's one case of Barnabas being a person. Now the second time we see the humanity of Barnabas, not that he was necessarily wrong or right in this, is when he had a disagreement with Paul. Paul and Barnabas, such a wonderful team in the mission field, they were going to go out again and Barnabas wanted to bring his nephew Mark. Now he had already been on one journey with them and you recall the account he went back home early. Now we're not told why. I I don't know why he went back home but evidently Paul didn't like it and he must have thought Mark was wrong in doing it so he said no Mark can't go. He wasn't going to give him another opportunity to desert them in the middle of a work. And so they had what is recorded for us, no small disagreement, right? And you know what happened? A great team was broken up. But in its place were two great teams. Paul went with Silas. Barnabas went with Mark. Barnabas saw something in Mark that Paul couldn't see. He was an encourager. He consoled Mark. You remember what happened later on? Barnabas being determined to take Mark. But then, later on, years later when Paul was in prison, he wrote and told Timothy, he said, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. 2 Timothy 4 verse 11. Barnabas saw something in that young man, and he encouraged him. And he became a great evangelist and soul winner for Christ. And even Paul said, He's profitable for me in the ministry. There's no doubt people can do great things and even greater things if someone else thinks you can't. And that's encouraging. We need to encourage each other to greater greater faithfulness. 
We need to encourage each other to be encouragers. See, we have to be careful, don't we? Because we don't want to go from being an encourager to being discouraged like Barnabas was discouraged, but that's going to happen from time to time. But we certainly don't want to go from encourager to discourager like he was in Galatia, in Antioch. Right? We don't want to do that. We want to be careful. And we also need to understand that Mark had to make some kind of adjustment too, right? Mark had to make an adjustment, and evidently he did that. But sadly, that did break up that great team, but in its place were two greater ones. Someone wrote one time, said, Flatter me and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me and I may not forgive you. But encourage me and I'll never forget you. I think that's true. May we continually encourage each other as we live for Christ. May we continually encourage anyone that we come into contact with. Give yourself to God. Become a New Testament Christian. And we have to be able to explain to people how to do that. And we need to just as importantly tell people, you can't take my word for it. We have to look into the Bible and we have to see what Jesus said, what God said. In Matthew 28 verse 20, He said, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That was part of the Great Commission. And so when we read in the Bible about Paul teaching the plan of salvation or Peter teaching the plan of salvation, that came from Christ. That came from Christ. And here's what those men said about the plan of salvation. How we become Christians. First of all, we cannot gain salvation from listening to a person. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen. We have to listen to the Bible. doesn't matter what I say or what anyone else says. When we listen to the Bible, faith will grow in the heart of the Christian. The writer of Hebrews said, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For we must believe that He is who He is, right? Hebrews eleven six. Once we believe what God has left for us, we have to make a determination in life. Am I going to live for God? Am I going to continue down the same road I'm on? We know that is repentance, don't we? Repentance is a military term that was used in the Roman Empire. It means about face. We're going one way, we turn around and go the other way. Any way away from God, we need to go 180 degrees back the other direction. So we have to repent of those things. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, very well-known sermon Peter preached on Pentecost. In Acts, verse, uh, two, Acts 2, verse 37, the people listening said, Men and brethren, what should we do? What should they do in regard to what Peter had just preached? Well, they had killed the Son of God. They were living in a sinful lifestyle. Verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized to every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Upon understanding that we need to repent, Paul told us in Romans 10, that with the mouth, confession, or with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, verse 10, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Not into salvation. Unto salvation. Up to the precipice. And then what do we do? The same thing that Ananias told 
uh, praying, fasting, I'm sure crying, Saul of Tarsus, Acts 22, 16. Saul, Saul, why tarryest thou? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. How do we call on the name of the Lord? Through obedience. Through obedience. And that's what Saul did. He became the Apostle Paul. We just talked a little bit about him, didn't we? And then, of course, faithful living. Jesus said, if you're faithful and endure to the end, you will be saved, Matthew 10, 22. Now, if you've never done that, don't leave here today not in a covenant relationship. If you have and you've become unfaithful, come back to God today. You do that through repentance and confession, John, uh, 1 John 1, 6 through 9, and prayer, whether publicly or privately, depending on what the situation is. And God will welcome you back into His fellowship. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.